Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Today we bring you a very inspiring story where we have Dr. Shamasian, the founder of Samashian Academic Consulting. He was diagnosed around eight, nine years old with Tourette syndrome. And you may have listened to the other podcast where I had Gianna, the ambassador for Tourette syndrome, speak to all of you about the triumphs and the challenges. Well, today we really want to get to the heart of when children and even adults oftentimes are so influenced by what they're hearing outside of themselves. And they really have a choice and you have a choice too of whether or not you believe them and whether or not you take a path that they see you. And if somebody sees you in a way that they say, well, you're not going to ever surmount to anything. You're not going to be anything. You might as well just quit school now or whatever it is that they say that's negative. People have choices. Your children have choices, right? We all know that. But how do we really get them to hear their inner voice and say, hey, you know something? I'm so much better than what they're saying to me right now. And I believe that. But not only do I believe that, I'm going to act on how I feel. And I'm going to be so driven to make my dreams come true, whether I have Tourette syndrome, a mental health condition, a physical condition, or all of them, whatever it is, let's bring that heart back into learning and children's future. So welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. So would you tell us a little bit about your background? Tell us about your family, how you got here to America, and then really, we wanna hear about those experiences that you had to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it wasn't very hard for me to get to America. I was born here. My parents um, were born and raised in, in Lebanon, and uh, they came here in the, the late 70s, um, you know, during the civil war that was going on over there. And I was born in Los Angeles, um, you know, to uh, an all-Armenian family. So my parents are ethnically Armenian. I have an older brother. Uh, he's three years older than me. And so I grew up uh, in an area called the San Fernando Valley, uh, where I went to an all-Armenian school. Um, and yeah, literally 100% of the students were Armenian. Um, maybe there were like one or two kids who were half Armenian or something like that. And, uh, you know, pretty, I thought that was a pretty normal uh, experience uh, growing up here. Um, I now recognize that that's not very normal in terms of, you know, going, uh, growing up with kids who are, you know, just from similar backgrounds and things like this. And, um, and so I was going through school, pretty normal kid, love basketball, love video games, um, you know, always did well in school. And, and around like eight, nine years old, like you said, uh, you know, I started exhibiting, you know, various facial and slight vocal tics, like maybe scratching, you know, clearing my throat or something like that. And it was, uh, it was a really strange time because I couldn't stop doing it. And 
you know, you can, you, I knew when I was doing it, I knew when it was coming on, but I couldn't stop it. And so it was, it was semi-voluntary in that way. And so, you know, I started getting a lot of feedback from, you know, my parents who were like, just, Hey, stop doing that because people are going to think you're weird. Um, and, you know, I don't know, people are going to make fun of you. So just stop. It's a bad habit. Started getting response from teachers. Like, why are you doing that? You're just trying to distract other people or what, what whatever the case might be. Um, but that started affecting me in the sense that I started feeling upset about it and sad about it because I was like, why don't people believe me that I'm, that I'm experiencing this and that I don't really have control. And, you know, we started going to, to a few physicians and they couldn't really figure it out. And then probably maybe the fourth, fifth doctor in, um, there's a woman who saw me for like 30 seconds and she's like, Oh, you have Tourette's syndrome. Right. And, we were, <laughs> and it was like very normal. So um, or to her, it was very, you know, just sure. very quick. And I really appreciated that because, you know, on one hand, it was like, Tourette's, oh my gosh, like, what is that? Like, it's a condition, a brain condition. That's weird. Is he okay? Whatever. And then on the other hand, there was the relief of like, oh, it's a thing and it has a name and right. I felt validated right, where right. I'm not just, uh, you know, just being weird and making funny faces or something like that. Sure. And so that was really, you know, I thought that was really nice to have that kind of, um, you know, validation and, you know, to be acknowledged in that way. That, that didn't mean that, you know, the, the lack of understanding, you know, stopped or anything like that, that continued. But for me, I knew that, well, yeah. I know I can't stop it and started learning a little bit more about it, reading, you know, brochures that they had and, um, you know, information like that. And mind you, this was in the, you know, like mid nineties. So it's not like there was all this stuff on the internet. You couldn't just Google Tourette syndrome and learn all about it. It wasn't like that. And, and so, you know, I started learning about it and understanding that, you know, people with Tourette syndrome are, you know, very capable, they're no less intelligent, and it's just really limited to, you know, these, these facial changes that you might make or these vocal tics that you may have. Um, but that, so that was my experience with it. And the toughest thing, quite honestly, was, other people's perceptions of me, you know, whether it's a parent thinking, oh, that's a bad habit, just stop, what are they going to think of us? How is it going to affect on us as a family? And me being upset around, well, like, why is that the more important thing to you than, than how I'm doing? Right. Or, Can you, you say know, that again? You know why? Because I think people need to hear that. I know no matter what it is that we say, I just think that's so profound. Say that again. Sure. Yeah. I, I always wondered why, you know, like a parent or a teacher was more concerned about how it would reflect on them rather than how I was feeling. Right. Like I understand children um, as a parent and, and teachers and with their students. And, you know, I push into to classrooms every day to, to educate them on certain programs that I provide. And it really is like, like their, their family. Right. So, so I'm up there and, and I'm there to teach positive self-talk and all these cognitive behavioral strategies, perception that you're talking about. And I'm there to give them and to model breathing for calm minds and calm body, but you still see the teacher, like the parent, giving them that evil eye, you know, that stare down, mm. like, not now, don't do it now. Yeah. But, you know, but really, but that's okay, because that's why I'm there. I'm there to give those strategies, because children don't want to misbehave. Children don't want to be different in a way that right. they feel like it's going to hurt them in some way or make them different in an odd way. Mm -hmm. And so when we're there together, we can support one another, but 
if we're like-minded, can you talk toward that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's a lot of things that we, you know, as I'm a parent now, and, you know, I, I saw that in my own, as you know, I saw that in other parents, I also saw it when I was, you know, working as a, as a clinical psychologist, a lot of times the some, you know, kids are, they're thriving in certain ways, but, but we tend to focus on the things that people are struggling with. And a lot of times it also reflects on, you know, we, we believe that the way it reflects on us is what matters the most. So if you have a, you know, child who's, you know, feeling anxious, like, just, just do it. Like, you know, I'll look at all the other kids are playing together and all this kind of stuff. Why can't you just, you know, do it on all this kind of stuff. But ultimately it's, you know, we feel as parents, like, uh, like, what are they going to think of me if they see you like this? And, um, you know, are they going to think that we did something wrong? Or why can't you, you know, all this kind of stuff, but it's not about the parent or the teacher, it's about helping the kid do well. Mm -hmm. um, and if there are people who are going to think slightly less of you, because your kid is a certain way or another, that's on them. And I know this is easier said than done, by the way, I, I completely recognize this, there are social pressures and what have you. But I just always encourage people to think about like, what is this child experiencing? Because chances are the whole thing that you're feeling about, oh gosh, why is he doing this? Why is she doing that? You know, they, they know it too. They're not oblivious to, you know, oh, being yeah. perceived in that way. They're not oblivious to you feeling about them the way you do and the expectations of them that you have. And so it's, it's a hard thing to, you know, separate out your feeling about it versus what your child might be experiencing. But I think it's critical if we're actually going to be strong support systems for kids. Right. And, and like you said, it, it's easier said than done, but I've, I'm, I'm hearing more now, at least in education, which is good that we need to go back to the basics and, um, the rigor of the curriculum, although the standards and expectations are still there, there are so many children struggling now. I mean, I, I did a, an hour push in just today about self-talk and mm -hmm. knowing that you have a voice in your head and changing them. And one girl even said, I'm fat. And mm. by no means, she's 5'3", 120. She's not fat. And um, they're, they're, they're struggling. So really, I think that's in support of of what you're saying is, is that we need to look at the child as a whole. Was there somebody in your childhood that you felt um, understood you, or maybe you were just a little bit more comfortable around? I mean, as far as, uh, you know, teachers, there wasn't like someone who like took me under their wing. I mean, the, the person that comes to mind, I had a, I had a great Sunday school teacher, um, you know, when I was in about like fourth or fifth grade that, you know, when I would show up just, you know, again like I said like making faces and things like this whatever they they sort of always saw potential in me and uh, I'm still close friends with them now really um, so that that was really important to me you know having having a few key people in my life that believed in me and thought that I was just as capable of everybody else that that changed it because you know it's very difficult when you have some sort of you know, learning difference, or if you have some, you know, neurological condition or whatever the case might be, you have to be very mindful of what you're believing and buying into. Um, because if you, you yeah, if you start adopting, you know, if you start buying into what others are saying about you, whether it's on the side behind your back or directly to you, and believe you you get a lot of feedback directly to you, um, you have the choice to accept that or not. Like I got a lot of, you know, I had several teachers who would, you know, who literally told me that I'm making excuses, that I'm not going to amount to every anything, 
um, that I'm just not working as hard. I'm being lazy. Um, I had people say that I was, uh, that I'm being retarded, um, you know, words like this. And, and so, you know, to me, that was, those were hurtful words. I'm not going to act like they didn't affect me, sure. um, you know, emotionally, but they also didn't stop me from performing well, mm-hmm. because I was seeing, well, look, my, the way I'm performing in school, like that doesn't match up with what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. But if you buy into what others think of you, if that stuff is negative, you're going to start playing to the level of people's expectations. So we have to be careful as parents and educators, you know, explicitly and implicitly what we're telling students. You might not even say the words, but if a student sees that your expectations for them are less or fewer, they're going to say, well, what does it matter anyway? This is sort of my level. This is my track in life type of thing. And that stuff can start very young. It's hard to undo those kinds of things. Um, For me, you know, you know, good or bad, it sort of made me more angry in the sense that it fueled me to be like, oh, okay, we'll see, you know, that kind of thing. And so I would, you know, I would, I would perform in a way that would, you know, show people, no, I'm, I'm not just as capable, I can be better um, than, than what they expect of anybody in this class. And so that was something that was very motivating to me. Where that came from, I don't know. Um, But that's something that has been very valuable to me. But at the end of the day, I always encourage, you know, teachers and parents where, even if a student gets accommodations or has some sort of special needs, that doesn't mean you change the expectation. It just means that they need support to, to be, you know, to help prop them up and to help them advance, not to say, ah, they're not going to be much anyway. So let's just, you know, let's, let's lessen this. Let's expect less of that or whatever the case might be. Those are the types of things that when students internalize can be damaging for a long time. Absolutely. And, uh, not only that, I think when it comes to accommodation, it's funny because some some students, they have a disability and they have what's called resource room. So you're pulled out and for 45 minutes and whatnot, you either get you know, a specific lesson or you then get your accommodations implemented in that special location as an accommodation. It's usually quieter, less kids, sure. lots of times, you know, tests and questions read, but you didn't have those types of accommodations growing up? I did not. I did not. So I went to a very small, um, all Armenian private school. Like I said, my, I mean, to put it in context, my, I mean, my high school had 200 people total, um, very small, you know, not that many resources, certainly not a lot of knowledge or care about learning differences or anything like that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were other students who had, you know, differences, but it's not like they were they were known or no one was right. ever pulled out or there was nothing like this. And so I just kind of had to do the same work as everybody else. And it wasn't until college where I, you know, got, um, you know, like uh, basically the, the special room where I could take an exam or something. Yes. Just the have special location. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. The special, yeah. So that was it and had access to note taking support and things like that. But, but up until then, no, there was no support like that. So do you remember the transition from um, high school to college now that you're embarking in the possibility of getting accommodations to help you with your mm-hmm. academic goals? Do you remember how you felt or what that was like? I thought it was cool, honestly. Yeah. Um, so I remember 
like late high school, I want to say like the latter half of senior year, um, I remember going to some educational psychologist's office and they like gave me an IQ test essentially. And I think I found it a few years ago and, you know, I'm a psychologist now, so I can like interpret it. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, all that. So it was kind of funny. Yeah. But I remember doing all these tests around like block design and symbol search and arithmetic and all this kind of stuff. I had no idea what was happening. Um, and then, you know, got a report. They're like, take this report, show it to the office for, you know, students with disabilities. And I did that. And, uh, you know, they're like, oh, you're approved for X, Y, and Z. I'm like, sounds good. And that was cool because I, you know, and, and I think in college, the nice experience was not necessarily just like the, oh, you have your own private room for Ted, like that's nice and all, but it was, so, it was treated as so normal. Oh, okay. like, I think where, where I was growing up, it was like the, oh, why are you being like this? Why did there? It's like, yep, cool. Mm -hmm, yep. Looks good. The, these are the accommodations we provide. It was one of those, like, you know, oh, you want a turkey sandwich? Like it was just like a normal right. experience. Yeah. And so I think in, in college that just showed me like, oh, wow, this is what it looks like when, when there are resources, people don't make a big deal about it. It's just the thing that people get to support them with doing well. So I thought that was really great. And, um, and I just, you know, shout out to, you know, office for students with disabilities out there and, and assisting students like me with having, you know, better educational experience, but it just, I think it did feel like, okay, this is, this is normal, but also this, this works, you know, it's, it's nicer to take it when, when I'm not distracted, when I'm not worried about like, if I'm, you know, <clears throat> if I had to scratch my throat and the people aren't looking at me, like there wasn't that anymore and just allowed me to focus and show my potential in school. And I thought that was really cool. It, it must've been such a relief. Yeah. That was, yeah. it was awesome. I'm very grateful for that. And, and so for if your child is, beginning to look at colleges. Now imagine this, this is a number of years ago. So yep. they've come such a long way with their office with, of disabilities and accommodations and, and just the wide acceptance of those differences along with those supports. So if you feel a little worried inside, you know, or I think maybe all you need to do is make a couple of phone calls and you can see that your child's gonna be, they're gonna be okay, you know? Mm -hmm. Then I could be left alone, which is, is really wonderful. Now, you mentioned something about um, implicit and, and explicit uh, types of comments that um, parents or teachers can make for, the, for our listeners today. Could you give us a little example of what you mean, what you meant by that? Yeah. So, I mean, explicit would be just, you know, straight comments like, you know, you're not, you're not a mountain, you're not trying hard enough, you know. Um, or you're not going to amount to anything, some of the, you know, more explicit things that people said, but then, you know, more implicit things or things that aren't, you know, directly said to you will, will include just the, Laura, you, you didn't do, you didn't complete a task. It's okay. Um, that's all right. At least you tried, um, you know, things like this. And, and that on its surface, it probably doesn't sound that bad. Like, oh, good. You're praising someone for effort. But if someone is not able to like complete their work, even if they have proper supports, but they're not finishing it and you know that they're able to simply praising effort, I don't, I think only goes so far. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I, I think the, the silver lining of my experience was no one, because no one took it easy on me. I didn't know that that was an option ever. I never learned that option. And it's only looking back when I've seen, you know, other students struggle with that. And parents can sometimes be involved through college, and we're not really allowing students to independently 
you know, reach their potential. And that's something that I'm always mindful of when supporting students, especially, you know, students with disabilities that look, it, it is difficult to do well in school. It is difficult to balance it, especially with all the other extracurriculars and what have you. But if you have certain goals, this is the expectation. And, you know, right. you know, we, I understand that you need special supports because of your condition. It doesn't mean I'm going to expect less from you. I'm going to expect the same amount. In fact, I might expect more because I know your aspirations. So I'd like to play to aspirations, not, you know, to, to preconceived notions about what a, what a kid can or can't do. So tell us in your line of work now, how you support individuals who have learning differences. Yeah. So what I do specifically is I help students get into top colleges and, and especially medical school. And, you know, it's very competitive for anyone who's reading you know, in the times or wherever, like college admissions is so hard now, medicals. Yeah, it's true. And it's harder than you even think. And so we're talking with situations where there are like sub 5% acceptance rates in programs and things like this. And it's very easy for students to like get to a certain level and sometimes not have the same performance that they're accustomed to. And the negative self-talk really begins um, because a student might've been very good in high school. Now they get to college. And they're like, oh, like everyone here is, you know, at my level. Sometimes it's about like, how am I going to do that? Or sometimes they perform at a high level and they look around and think, yeah, but everyone is doing that. I'm not special. So there's, a, there's this thing around like competition becomes like it puts things in context. When you go to high school and you're at a certain, you know, percentile in your, in your class, you don't have as much now when you take you know the best students from all the schools around the That's country right. and put them into certain colleges now it's like it's a whole new league it's a whole new level and students can sometimes feel overwhelmed by that and thinking well i'm not as good except if the school admitted you they believed rightfully so that you can you, you can succeed there so i like to rely on those sources of validation if you're here it's because you belong here don't get here and evaluate whether you belong here say that again you know, I said, if you're here, you belong here. Don't get here and start evaluating whether you belong here. Because how many kids, and my son is a freshman in college at University of Miami, how many kids that just get right into the groove of things and then all of a sudden, exactly what you're saying, they're not top dog anymore. And yep. they're like, hmm, wow, I really need to step it up or I need to change a little bit or, I need to, or they internalize. And so I don't know how many of them, if at all, are saying or thinking what you're saying, which is go back to the idea, I was accepted. Yep. And the acceptance rate is not high. And I should appreciate that. That's, yep. that's something to teach your kids. Remind your children. If you have any college students, you know, you, say to them, remember the program you got in, remember how hard you worked and remind yep. them because they might need that reminder of success within themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, very well said, because I remember, you know, when I got into Cornell and, you know, was, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to go there. And I, I mean, I was the first, I think I'm still the only student from my high school to ever go to an Ivy League school. And I remember back then, you know, having teachers and you and parents like, oh, are you sure? like you can make it there, those kids are really smart. Um, or really? Uh, yeah, you know, I yeah. got that. Like, yeah, I know you're, but they're really smart, you know, that kind of thing. I'm going to tell you something. I'm really smart too. 
yeah yeah I, I, watch <laughs> probably I should, yeah so but that's the thing so that was another you know one of those fires uh, in me but but that kind of thing gets or are you sure like another one i heard was i don't know if those schools are for people like us because i grew up you know lower middle class um and you know had other people like you know send messaging like that where again if you internalize it you don't go or if you go you don't succeed because what's the point like you know you're not cut out anyway so why put forth your best effort but i don't like to buy into those kinds of things so it's very important you know for students to to think about what's being said to them and for them to feel is this actually true is there any evidence or is this that person's lack of confidence I have to tell you, you are speaking such language right now. Again, we need to make sure our young children learn to be critical thinkers. Critical thinkers, not in a way that they're criticizing themselves, right? But really thinking exactly what you're saying and knowing, is this thought right? Is this thought correct? Is this thought positive? Is this thought negative? knowing what those differences are, knowing those keywords, I can't, I won't, it's too hard, right? And, and really teaching your kids that. Because if you want your child to meet with success, just like Dr. Shemazian has been, I'm doing all right, I'm hanging in there. It's great, it's great. <laughs> you know, this is great advice. And listen to this deep insight, right? So if we can take, and even if it means jotting down a few notes right now or replaying it, do it because it's what's going to help center your child if they don't have that fire and determination and inner validation like he has. So thank you. Thank you very much for your, you have so many messages. For My pleasure. People listening. Thank you for, for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So now do you have any last words? Do you have any advice, anything that we haven't covered that you think would be a really important message for our listeners today to hear? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the, the big takeaway and, you know, just following our conversation, I think that that self-belief, um, you know, and, and if you're the person with the, with the condition, having that self-belief is critical and you know, as a, as a parent or educator, having a belief um, and, and really just reflecting on when I have doubts about us, you know, whatever, is that my own self-doubt um, about, you know, my ability to educate them or parent them or deal with the situation? Or am I, you know, or is it something that's actually, you know, supported? Um, because I want people to decouple those things and always think about putting their kids first. I mean, an example, it's not about learning differences or whatever. My older, my older son, he's four years old. And I, I remember like when we put him in soccer, you know, when he was like one and a half, two years old, just to, you know, get active and, and do have some fun. Um, I remember he, he wasn't like running as fast as he, he wasn't dribbling as well and stuff. And I found myself like getting, you know, as someone who did a lot of sports and stuff, I found myself like, oh, come on, like, did it. And he was having a blast. And I found myself like wanting him to do because I wanted that, I think, for me you know, for him to be a certain way or what have you. And he wasn't. And, and that's something that I had to, to learn myself. I was like, I think I'm doing the thing that I always talk about, about it's not about you. It's about that. Like I was finding myself like being guilty of that as well. And so just pushing, you know, all of us, myself included to, to really reflect on how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others and making sure that all of the things that we 
we're doing, um, you know, for our students and for our kids is in their best interest, not so that it reflects well on us. Um, and if you do that, I think not only will the student do better, um, but also you're going to have a, a stronger relationship with that person and feel more fulfilled. And having that awareness is key to making those changes or keeping what you're already doing, because maybe it's working and it's in everybody's yep. best interest too. How do people reach you? Um, just get to the site, um, so shamasanconsulting.com, which I know is a mouthful. Uh, I'm sure you'll link to it in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, and yes. in the top right corner, there's a contact button, very easy to reach out via email. And if I can be of help to anyone, I'd love to. I think you've heard all of this wonderful knowledge, experience, and um, and motivation with now downright grit. So thank you so much for listening this um, this for this episode and we are just thrilled to have this opportunity to add hopefully some information and inspiration to your lives. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout out on social media.